So this morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. If you brought your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to go ahead and turn there. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, or chapter 15, verses 12 through 22. We will be there shortly. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible with you, that scripture will be behind me when we get to that point. So my parents just recently celebrated their 46th wedding anniversary. And for the first time ever in the history of their 46 years of marriage, my dad decided to post about that on social media. And I really don't know how I feel about it, to be totally honest. Um, You know the kinds of, you know, effusive posts you see from husbands and wives, both, you know, speaking praises of their spouse. Um, I got to see that from my dad to my mom. And it it reminded me of when I was a, a teenager and I thought it was gross when my parents showed any emotion towards each other. You know what I'm talking about? Now I have to live it in front of millions of people on social media. Um, but on a more serious note, uh, over the 46 years of their marriage and the nearly 35 years of my life, uh, they have provided a good influence, showed me what uh, a marriage, a healthy marriage looks like, um, not only loving each other well, but Uh, In the good times and in the bad, you know, knowing how to to work through conversations and and, and be there for each other during loss and all of those sorts of things. Showed me what it it means to be a a good parent. I think they did pretty well, if I say so myself. Um, And seeing them do that through through my time uh, with my two older sisters, knowing that we all turned out okay. uh, We're we're all well-rounded, healthy people for the most part. Uh, And and looking at that, I'm, I'm grateful for the influence that they've had in my life. And so sometimes I wonder, and I don't know if you ever wonder anything like this or not, but I I wonder that what-if question that never could really be answered. And the question is, what if they had never met? What if they had never fallen in love? Would I exist? Would I not? What what would that look like? How would it have changed the world, changed their family? Maybe you answer or ask yourself those questions as well about that idea of, of, of what if, like, one thing happened differently that's a big part of your life. Um, Those of you who are comic book fans, you know, like when you see like the evil version of Superman in an alternate reality, like there's something is is different or or backwards. Uh, If you remember, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, one of the, you know, people voted as one of the greatest uh, Christmas movies of all time when George Bailey wished that he had never been born and then he got to see what the world would look like if that were actually the case. Sometimes I wonder questions like that. And like I said, maybe you've wondered that as well. Maybe not. What if you had never met your spouse? If you're married, what if you had decided not to have children? Uh, what if your parents hadn't, hadn't birthed your spouses? Not your spouses, but your, your siblings as well. What if you hadn't had the brothers or sisters that you had? What if you took on a different career? What if you went to a different university or if you didn't go to school? Uh, what if you did or if you did go to school? What if you didn't? What if you, like I said, what if you had a different job? What if your best friend didn't sit next to you in first grade when you got introduced to each other? Those kinds of questions usually aren't very healthy, if we're being honest, because there's really no answer for them, and you can just kind of rack your brain and drive drive yourself crazy by asking them. But I think Paul, in the text that we're going to read this morning, kind of introduces one of those ideas, one of those big questions, being, what if there were no such thing as the resurrection? a central belief, a central part of what it means to believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what if that had never happened? What if there were no such thing as the resurrection? Over the next several weeks, save next week, next week's going to be a special week that I'll tell you about at the end of our service, 
But over the next several weeks, we're going to look at Paul's testimony about the resurrection and its importance as we move forward towards Easter from 1 Corinthians 15. The last several years, we've been going along with one of the gospel writers and looking at their version of the Easter story, the way that they tell it. And so we're going to focus on Paul's telling of the importance of the resurrection. And we're going to spend three weeks in this chapter, chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And again, we start with this idea, what if there were no such thing as the resurrection? What if the most hopeful part of the Jesus story never happened? You know, the resurrection is one of those elements of the Jesus story that that many cynics, that many people who have this mindset that everything must have a precise scientific explanation, everybody who has something that they want to pick at about the Christian faith, the resurrection is often one of the places that they land. One of the places that they pick out is hard to believe or hard to trust. They might say that Jesus was a good man, that he was a good teacher. They would even maybe say that he uh, expounded on a revolutionary morality, uh, a, a new way to look at the world and to look at yourself and to treat people around you. And that's something that all people could benefit from, regardless of their religious beliefs. But to actually believe that he died, was dead, like actually dead, not that he passed out, but that he was actually dead, placed in a grave, and then came back to life. And not just came back to life for a little while and then died again, but came back to life, was resurrected for eternity. When we get to that point, people start dropping off. That sounds a little too good to be true. That sounds a little too much. I can go with him being a good man and a good teacher, but he's raised from the dead. Really? Is that really something we want to believe? Or they might say that if he was resurrected, if Jesus is still alive, it's in like the spiritual sense. Like we might say about a person that their spirit is always with us. Or it's as if they were here by his teaching and and the way that it continues to influence the world. No, what Paul wanted to focus on was an actual physical bodily resurrection. And he would ask that question, what if that never happened? Not Jesus coming back and affecting us spiritually, but physically resurrected from the grave and a gift that he gives us to do the same. And so what about you this morning? Do you believe in the resurrection? And again, I don't just mean, do you believe in a, in, in, that Jesus still lives on? Do you believe that he physically came back from the grave? And even further, do you believe not only that Jesus died and was resurrected, but that we, if we believe in and follow Jesus, will too be resurrected? to live with him for eternity? Your answer to that question is vitally important. Perhaps one of the, if not the most important question you'll ever ask yourself. Do you believe in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that we too have it? The resurrection is what makes the good news good. And in Paul's mind, it was of utmost importance. It was at the very heart of everything it meant to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus. To live in a world in which there was no resurrection was an impossibility. It was the worst of all worlds for Paul to live in a world like that one. And again, he expounds on this throughout all of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, but especially in verses 12 through 22 that we're about to read. But before we do that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for being here with us this morning. And God, we pray that our eyes would not be drawn to ourselves, to the distractions in our hearts and our minds, God, but that you would draw us, our eyes and our hearts toward you. God, so that we may see the the beauty of this story and the power of your resurrection. God, 
speak to us now and give us ears to listen. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 22. Paul writes these words to the Corinthian church. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be, we are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom we did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep For as by man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. To give you a little context to this passage, some Corinthian believers, some Corinthian Christians were questioning the truth of a literal bodily resurrection from the dead. Some scholars believe that Paul's line that he says in both verse 12 and 13, that there is no resurrection from the dead, imagining if that were so, that that was actually a common line repeated by many of the Corinthians. Uh, It was something that they said to each other often, a belief that was a part of their belief system. There is no resurrection from the dead, and Paul is now quoting it back to them, as if it was that common in their belief system to doubt this core tenet of what it means to believe in and follow Jesus. Chapter 15 is Paul's response to this misteaching. We see his thesis statement earlier in the chapter in verses 3 and 4 when he writes these words, For I deliver to you as of first importance, first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The resurrection is what makes the good news good. Now, the inability or the unwillingness of the Corinthians to believe in this resurrection perhaps is one of the reasons why they had the problems that they did in Corinth. If you're familiar with the letter to the Corinthians, and if you're not, I encourage you to read it, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. There's a lot of misbehavior, stuff that you would never expect, like, you know, a a people categorized as a Christian church to be involved in. Uh, there were some, 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 some sexual ethic problems, some, some just looking like the rest of the world and being way too involved in the things of the world and worshiping the way other gods were worshipped. And it created some significant problems in Corinthians. And Paul takes the tone with the Corinthians that's a little harsher than he does in some of his other letters, save maybe like Galatians. But, but he comes at this, this, this big problem. There seems to be some serious issues going on within Corinthians. And perhaps one of the reasons that they made the kind of mistakes, the immoral choices that they did, is because of their belief about the resurrection. You see, in Paul's day, it was very common for people to believe that the spirit was holy and everything about the flesh was evil. That everything about the flesh was evil. Some believed it so strongly that they believed that Jesus just appeared to be a man, that he wasn't actually man. Because God couldn't become man because the flesh was too ugly and nasty. 
And so in that dualistic thinking and trying to separate the spirit from the flesh, they even went so far as to say that there's no way that the, that the ugly, sinful, disgusting human flesh could ever be raised to an eternal level so that it might live with God forever. No, if we're resurrected, it's just in the spiritual sense, they would think. Like we're disembodied spirits. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible is very clear about a, a bodily resurrection. We even see that with Jesus when he returns to his disciples and actually eats with them after he has been resurrected, that he is in a physical body that has been then glorified and perfected. This is the kind of resurrection that the Bible teaches. The Corinthians ditched it completely, or maybe not all of them, but there was certainly a segment of them that ditched it completely to the point where they probably came to the conclusion that this body isn't eternal, so I don't have to worry about what I do with it. I can do with it whatever I want to. I can eat, drink, and be merry. I can have fun. I can live it up. I can drive it like I stole it, whatever cliche you want to use. I can do that because it doesn't matter. All of this is just passing away. And so they lived it up. Maybe that's where some of that came from. Paul moves on as he's talking about the resurrection with several if-then statements. If there were no such thing as the resurrection, then this would be the case. And he delivers it, look, so. If there were no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ would have been raised. He says that a couple of times, highlighting it, showing us the complete horror of that idea, that if there was no resurrection from the dead, our Savior is dead. Jesus has never been raised. If there is no resurrection from the dead, Paul continues, then our preaching is in vain. Everything we say about the Holy Spirit, the resurrected Jesus, the present Jesus, all of that is in vain. We're wasting our breath and our time if there is no resurrection from the dead. Also, your faith is in vain. That that you hope for, that that you think is waiting on you, no. There is no reward. There is only death if there is no resurrection from the dead. Also, and this is, all of it's scary, but this might be one of the more scary things, the if-then statements that he makes, If there is no resurrection from the dead, then we have been misrepresenting a holy God. Like if if you believe all the things that the Old Testament says about the holiness of God and his magnificence and his wrath, if we are saying something about him that is absolutely untrue, that he is resurrected from the dead, we should be worried about that. And so Paul says, if there is no resurrection from the dead, we have essentially been lying to the entire world about who God is. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then you are still in your sins, Paul says. You just thought you were free. That sin that you thought you had finally gotten to that place where you were experiencing freedom from, where you were experiencing forgiveness from, no, that's that's all a lie, that's all a sham. You're not free from it if there is no resurrection from the dead. You're still in slavery to sin. If you're still, or if there is no resurrection from the dead, then those who have, as Paul says, fallen asleep, those who have passed away, there's no hope for them either. They're lost. There is no coming reunion. They're gone. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then we, above all people, are most to be pitied, is how Paul puts it. Getting our hopes up, and there is nothing to be hopeful about. Paul is essentially saying, if there is no resurrection from the dead, what is the point of all of this? We're wasting our time, our breath, we're doing everything wrong if there is no resurrection from the dead. And this is a man who put everything that he had on the belief that there's a resurrection from the dead. This is a man whose life changed and he began to follow Jesus when he says that he actually saw Jesus face to face, the resurrected Jesus face to face in Acts 9. 
on the road to Damascus. This is a man who was willing to put his, his livelihood aside, who was willing to put his life, his health, his, everything on the line to be placed in prison, to, be, to probably be murdered and die a martyr's death, uh, to be persecuted, to be stoned to the point of death almost, and then somehow survive. He was willing to do all of that because of how strongly he believed in the resurrection. And what he is now saying to the Corinthians is, if there is no resurrection, everything is in vain. All of it is a waste of time. There is no point to this thing that I have given all of my life to. I wonder if this is what the disciples felt like on the Saturday morning after the Friday of the crucifixion. If they felt like there was no hope, that there was no resurrection, nothing to look forward to, that this was the end of the story and they were living in a place of hopelessness. What if we brought that idea forward? What, what if not just in, 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 in Paul's era, but what would be different about today? If there were no resurrection from the dead. If there were no resurrection from the dead, then why does it matter how I treat people that are different than me? Shouldn't we just worry about us and ours since everything is so temporary? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then why does it matter if I live with honesty and integrity? If I can bend the rules to be more comfortable or successful in the short time that I have on earth, shouldn't I do it if there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then why should I worry about sexual ethics? My body is made for my purposes alone. It really doesn't affect my spirit, so I shouldn't worry about it. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then why does the life of the unborn or the immigrant or the poor and oppressed or my enemy matter? If they die, at least they are spared some suffering. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then why does it matter how I treat my body? I might as well drive it like I stole it if the time is so short. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then why should I work to make peace with all people? It's all going to burn eventually. And if there is no resurrection from the dead, then why in the world would I want to waste my time worshiping and trying to be obedient to a God who can't even beat death? Without resurrection, even hope is dead. There is no hope where there is no resurrection. If everything ends at the end of this Life, Paul would ask, Paul would say, we are a people most to be pitied if there is no resurrection from the dead because we have staked our life on it. So again, let me ask you the question, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead, a physical embodied resurrection? Is it something that you're willing to stake your entire life on, indeed your eternity on, that Jesus was raised and that he too will raise us when our time comes? Is it something that affects the way that you live today, that you live with hope, that you live recognizing that the way you treat people today is something that echoes into eternity, that the way you behave in your own body that God has given you is something that you can carry with you in the heaven and the way that you can speak to those who are lost, that we're either living an eternity to death or an eternity to life in Jesus Christ. And if we really believe that in the resurrection, is it something that we're acting on by sharing our faith with others? Paul doesn't leave us here. He doesn't leave us on that sour note of if there were no resurrection from the dead. He, He picks it up and explains what's really going on, what the truth really is. I sometimes wonder with biblical writers, 
like Paul, if they came to like this point in their story or in their letter and then set down the writing utensil, or if there's thoughts that maybe Paul was actually speaking to somebody and he was writing for him. So what if they just kind of stopped both of them and took a break, walked outside? I'm, this is me thinking, had a cup of coffee, you know, just, just kind of hung out and, and looked at the stars or a nice Middle Eastern day. Or, or maybe they even slept on it and thought about it for a day. Maybe you, you've been in the middle of a novel or a movie or a television show that, that kind of has, it's not as common in our Netflix era to have the cliffhanger, but you know what I'm talking about where you used to watch shows and you would have to wait a whole week to figure out what happened or even sometimes longer than that and it would leave you on a cliffhanger episode and you, wouldn't know, you didn't know what was going to happen to the protagonist of the story and you were worried and you were just kind of left up in the air until you finally saw it. It's one of the reasons I don't watch live TV because I don't like the, hang, the, the, the cliffhangers. I would rather wait until they're all out so that I could watch them all together and I'm not left with any you ever does anybody else do that like if you watch something on Netflix and it leaves you on a, on a cliffhanger you watch the next five minutes of the next episode before you leave and go to bed because you want to know exactly what happened after that I wonder if Paul was kind of in that situation where he walked away from the story a little bit and then he came back and he realized that this is just a what if because it's not real because he gives, he gives us that lovely conjunction but Here's the truth. But the fact is, there is a resurrection. The fact is that Christ has been raised from the dead. This is actual reality. But in fact, there is a resurrection. And not of Christ only, Paul goes on to say. But Christ is the first fruits, is the way he puts it. Just as in Adam all of us die, in Christ all of us live. We all have the opportunity to experience life eternally life resurrected because of what jesus did he is the first one to be resurrected and all of us who are co-heirs as paul would say in romans 8 all of us who are co-heirs with him in god we too will taste and experience that same resurrection that is the truth paul says christ made an impossibility a possibility or i should say it even more certainly than that for the christian paul or christ made an impossibility a certainty for the christian to truly trust in the resurrection of jesus is to also trust in the resurrection of the believer the resurrection is what makes the good news good and again, I'm talking about a physical, embodied resurrection. It's not as if we are disembodied spirits floating around on heaven with a white robe on, a halo, and playing a harp. No, we are given bodies. The Bible is very clear about that. We need not look past the fact that when God created man out of the dust of the ground, he breathed his life into him and he looked and said, this is very good. God created us in his image, made in his image to be good, not so that he could burn it all away someday, but so that someday he could perfect it. Now, we're not just going to be, like I said, floating around in heaven like a bunch of ghosts, but we're going to be given perfected bodies. Now, I'm happy that it's perfected. Am I right? I'm happy that it's going to be completed and made exactly what God wanted it to be from the very beginning before we got in the way and messed it up. But we're going to be physically resurrected. And I, let me tell you why that excites me. That excites me when I begin to let my imagination run free on what it's going to be like to be physically in the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven and of the saints that have gone before me. To hold 
and perhaps feel with my own sense of touch the scar tissue on the hands and feet of Jesus that are left there as a testimony of the nails that bore our sin for, on him for our sake. I wonder if I will get the opportunity to, to, like I said, to even feel that and be reminded of the victory that was made possible by that sacrifice. Those of you who went outside yesterday or spent any time outside, it was that, that first warm day of spring, you know what I'm talking about? Where you just kind of bask in the sunlight and you let the sun warm your face. I wonder if in heaven a physically embodied, resurrected person, perfected, if we'll get to sit and soak in the warmth of heaven. Revelation is clear that there's no need for a sun in heaven because God himself will be our light. That's in Revelation 22, I believe. If not, it's the 21. But that's the case. And so will we, will, we, will we soak that up? Will we soak that in to actually feel the light of God upon our skin? To breathe eternally fresh air. Again, you know that first fresh breath of spring, or if you're a winter person, that first kind of cold morning when you get that deep breath of cool, fresh air to breathe every breath with that sense of freshness. This is what we will experience in a physically embodied, resurrected state. To lift our voices up to God in worship and have a perfect voice for all of God's people to sing on key, in tune, and with rhythm. Can I get an amen from the white folks in the house with some rhythm to be able to express ourselves to God with that sense of perfection coming even from our own lungs and our vocal cords. To see with our own eyes unspeakable beauty that God has created in his heaven. To hear that same worship chorus of being surrounded by people singing the most beautiful thing that you have ever heard and you're going to hear it for eternity. To hear it with your own two ears with perfect hearing in heaven in a physically resurrected body i wonder if john the baptist will still smell of earth and honey if jacob will still walk with a limp if my grandmother will still smell like grandmother and if the voice of the deceased the grandfather or somebody else you know how you can hear them in your head saying your name right now to hear that again in reality, a physically resurrected body, to use this exactly as it was intended to be used from the very beginning, in its perfection, with all glory be due to God. In the first service, I, I shared with the folks in there about how my grandfather was one, on my mom's side, was one who took to heart the scriptural command to, to make a joyful noise in worship. But he was also one of those who made a joyful noise that wasn't necessarily pleasant to those around him. You know what I'm talking about, right? But I loved it. It was actually pleasant to me. He was off key. He was loud. It was back in the days, and this, I don't hear this much anymore, but you know when the, the hearing aid would like that and his grandma would have to give him a nudge to wake him up so that he would turn the hearing aid off and, and maybe he couldn't hear himself that well, but he sang loud and joyfully, the thought of hearing my grandfather sing with that same volume but in perfect tune is something that I look forward to. It's something that I believe I will relish as I stand beside him 
and sing praise to my Jesus for eternity. That's the hope of a physical embodied resurrection. Not just floating spirits. I think I've told you this before. When I was a child, that was the vision that I had because Bugs Bunny had it. Right? We were just floating in heaven playing a harp. And I thought to myself, how boring would that be? It's such a sham what we've done to the power of the resurrection. A physical embodied resurrection. It's what makes the good news good. Even as our bodies are passing away in this present world, may we remember that they will be raised, that they will be perfected. And may in this moment, not just looking forward to eternity, but in this moment, that it would give us a sense of purpose and meaning with the way that we treat others, with the way we look at those who are different than us, with the way that we share the love of Jesus with those who do not know Jesus, knowing that all of it will not only go into this world, but into the next one, that you were created for so much more and that you have started that eternal life even today. Jesus was raised, and Jesus will raise us. The resurrection is what makes the good news good. And I say that even in the midst of a tragic world and even in the midst of tragedy happening around us. I witnessed with my own two eyes something that that a family go through something that nobody wants to experience this week. Being in the hospital with the crown overs. And there is a point where even as a pastor, that ticks me off that we live in a world where that kind of crap happens. It hurts, and it hurts to see somebody else go through that. And it, it leaves me confused, not knowing how to answer questions, let alone not even knowing what questions to ask myself. I think that's where we're all left when we, we encounter this kind of tragedy. But what I am reminded of, and look, this, this, I had this sermon written Monday. It's, it's just the providence of God that, that he allowed us to, to focus on this truth today. To realize that even in the midst of hopelessness, there is resurrection from the dead. That even in the midst of the most bleak story that could ever be told, in the most unthinkable tragedy that a parent could ever experience, there is hope because Jesus has defeated death, sin, and the grave once and for all. Amen? And because there is resurrection, but in fact there is a resurrection, as Paul says, because of that, I can have faith in any situation. If we do an if-then on the positive side, if there is such a thing as a resurrection from the grave, then I can mourn the loss of someone deeply loved by a community while also rejoicing in his being found in heaven. If there is such a thing as a resurrection, I can mourn the memory of people that have passed on before me that were close to me while also rejoicing in what they are experiencing today and knowing that one day I will stand beside them and experience that same joy. If there is such a thing as a resurrection, there is nothing on this planet that can quench my hope because it's bigger than anything that this world has to offer. 
If there is such a thing as a resurrection, and you better believe that there is, because Jesus defeated death and sin again once and for all, we can have hope and rejoice in any situation. We are undefeatable more than conquerors because Jesus has conquered the grave. In fact, there is a resurrection. And that is enough to get us through anything. And so this morning, if there is anybody in this room that has never experienced the power of the resurrection, and what I mean by that is you do not have a saving relationship with Jesus, that you have not given yourself to him and asked for forgiveness and asked to be granted, guaranteed in him for eternity. If you want to know more about what that looks like or have that conversation, I would love to have that conversation with you during our time of invitation or after the service. We could have it then. And for those of you in this room, that believe in the resurrection, are you living in that belief right now? Are you living as though there is more than this world? The way that you treat people, the way that you spread the gospel, are you living in the power of the resurrection? And if not, perhaps during these few moments that we have together and well beyond this time that we have together, you can spend time with God and ask him once again to fill you with the hope and joy of the resurrection and to make you a conduit of that power to others in the world around you. And if you need to pray about this or anything else, I will be down here to pray with you and the altar will be open if you would like to pray there. And you can always talk to me after the service. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. The band is going to lead us in a song of invitation and you move in whatever way God is calling. Father, we thank you for the resurrection. God, we thank you for being willing to give your son for our sake and then to raise him from the dead so that you might raise us from the dead. God, thank you for being bigger than death, disease, sadness, and tragedy, sin in the grave, and anything else that may come against us. God, help us lean on the power of your resurrection. And thank you for giving us that power as well. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.